Yo, what's good? This is Infamous. I'm out here in hot, sunny, humid as fuck Miami, and I'm listening to Hood Talks with my boy Jay Havana. Yo, what's up? This is Jay Havana. You're listening to Hood Talks, and this is a Crazy Hood exclusive. In episode two of Hood Talks, I got a chance to talk with three-time world champion DJ, founding member of the Allies DJ crew, and Grammy award-winning producer, Infamous. Inf has been in the game for years, producing for artists such as Jay-Z, Drake, Nas, Meek Mill, and the list goes on. Prior to becoming a producer, Infamous first started his career as a DJ. Developing his skills, Infamous competed and won multiple world championships. He also helped form one of the most influential DJ crews in history, the Allies, with DJ Craze, Develop, A-Track, Spectacular, and J-Smoke. With so many achievements already under his belt, his talents as a producer have led him to work with the biggest names in hip-hop, including longtime collaborator Lil Wayne. Infamous has been working with Wayne since 2007, and most recently on Lil Wayne's highly anticipated album, The Carter Five. On C5, Infamous produced five tracks, including the number two song on the Billboard charts, Mona Lisa, featuring Kendrick Lamar. Here's my conversation with Infamous, a Crazy Hood exclusive. You're a world champion DJ. How, how did you get into DJing? Uh, actually, as a kid, I started playing guitar. My parents put me in guitar lessons when I was like five or six. And I did that until I was 12. But then in middle school, you know, you find girls and sports and do that kind of shit. And I don't know, man. I think like the first time I ever saw the movie Juice, mm. it kind of like sparked something. But I didn't know where to buy turntables from or how to go about even getting into that shit. And then I guess when I was like a sophomore or junior in high school I met uh, a buddy of mine named Abdul that had some cheap ass turntables he was selling I bought them from him for like 150 bucks or some shit and then I was totally just addicted right from right from that moment are there any DJs that you looked up to when you first started yeah I mean shit right off the bat like one of the first people I met was Craze um and him and I just kind of hit it off like right off the bat uh and we started, uh, we just started practicing together all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was like, I was still in high school. I think he was out of high school already. And I would just take a bus or hitch a ride to his fucking house. He lives in, I don't know how familiar you are with Miami, but he lives in Kendall and I was living in North Miami Beach at the time. Okay. So that's like a fucking, it's like a 20, 30 minute drive if you have a car. But if you're one of those high school kids that don't have a car and you got to convince your friends to fucking take you or you gotta take the bus it's just mad far <laughs> but uh but we both love scratching bro and that, that was really it like I would any chance that I could get to his house or he could come to my house and we would just practice together and, and we did that it seems like every day for for a while for yeah years. when you first started is there anything specific you admired about Craze or any other DJ that you looked up to the first DJ I ever saw that totally blew my mind was Hubert. Like, when I saw that dude, I was fucking, like... I can only imagine it was, like, the first time a jazzer hears Coltrane play Giant Stabs or, or the first time you hear Jimi Hendrix, like, play Purple Haze. That shit blew my mind. Wow. And 
and then it was like a bunch of dudes like Hubert, Mixmaster Mike, Rock Raider, all the executioners, Babu, and all the beat junkies. Like those dudes totally blew. Up. I just wanted to do whatever the fuck they were doing. Like I didn't understand what they were doing. I just knew I liked it. And I wanted to be down. And then I met Craze, and Craze was already like hip to all that shit. And um, Craze was like the best DJ I ever met in my life at the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, he still might be like one of the best DJs to ever walk on the planet. Yeah. And then I met him, and then through him, like Develop was next level. Like I never Develop was only in the battle scene for I guess like two or three years, but he influenced everybody because mm-hmm. he had like his own style that everybody was like oh this is some totally different shit and then when i met a track it was like all right cool here's another like virtuoso freak so luckily luckily for me i was like surra- like the dudes in our crew were really like some of the best dudes of that era and it was i didn't have to look very far for motivation or inspiration you know that's dope how did you guys go about forming the crew craze craze met everybody like at, at the time uh, Craze was already starting to travel a little bit. Like he was the only one of us, with the exception of A Track, who wasn't in the crew yet. Mm. That was um, had like competed in the DMCs and shit like that. And he met Develop, who had his own crew, spectacular and Jay Smoke called Turntable Crash Dummies in New York. Mm. And um, he was like, oh, he came back. He was like, yo, these dudes are really dope. We gotta just, I don't know what we're gonna do with them, but we gotta hang out with them or some shit. They flew down and we all vibed really well. And, I was like, fuck it, man. We're we got a crew in Miami called Tech Masters. It's me and Craze and a couple other dudes. Mm-hmm. You guys got a crew in New York. It's just combined, like these couple guys and called the Allies. And that, Dope. A few months later, A Track was was uh. In. But I think everybody was kind of like handpicked by Craze. When you were competing for the championships, do you remember what it felt like to live in that moment? Specific- oh, yeah, yeah, specifically like that championship matchup. Yeah, totally. Very fucking stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it, was it was it like the was it like juice <laughs> that that Omar Epstein? Kind of, not as like, not as uh. The thing that I liked about Juice is that it was like real nasty battle shit. You know, yeah. like you're battling some dude and he's like, man, fuck that dude, and there was like some real competitive, nasty ratchet shit going on. And then when we like the the world of DMC was really polite and everybody was really respectful it was almost like golf at the time and i think praise <laughs> and myself and a track we all kind of came up with this fake like alias of we're the turntable thugs and we like went to these battles on some fucking like we wanted it to be like juice you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're talking mad shit to everybody and it was a fun time it was super stressful not a lot like juice but uh some of the best years of my life man that shit was fun what did you learn during those moments that helped you in future competitions a lot of it is <clears throat> being able to like lucky for me i was in a crew with a bunch of people that were incredible and it was a it was learning how to uh creatively use teamwork yeah how to respect somebody's ideas how to still like uh push for your own ideas without you know still being still being able to step back and be like you know this is the better idea for the whole thing I think was a big thing that I learned also fuck man I got to travel a lot I got to listen to a lot of music I got to spend time with a lot of people I would have never met if it wasn't for that shit like that, there's too much like that whole that should change my DNA you know just like yeah. those five five years or so that I was in that scene yeah. 
so much experience man um just like the traveling alone like opens you up to different cultures and that totally. yeah like that plays an influential part in like what you do you know how it yeah. helps you develop as a dj and you know as a for artists as well yeah absolutely you mentioned earlier that you learned how to play guitar are there other instruments that you learned to play yeah i play piano bass drums uh i play cello kind of those are like the main ones that i practice and study um anything else i could kind of fake my way through it right. just as long as i don't have to like blow into it no saxophone or none of that shit <laughs> are you still learning uh i'm always learning bro until i die how has being a multi-instrumentalist help you evolve as a producer bro, it's everything like at the end of the day we're just making music so the more in 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 rap not as much because like there's not a lot of musicians that you work with it's really just a lot of computer and beats and samples and shit like that right but when I'll work with a band, I know how to talk to a drummer in a way that they understand because I also play drums or I can talk to the guitar player in a way that he's like, oh, all right, cool, I understand. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It just makes things easier than trying to explain things by emotion or color. I can actually sit there and say, this is the chord, this is the move, slide this finger over here, boom, 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 and we're good, you know? And to your point, like, I'm, I mean, specifically to um, a couple of the Wayne records, like, I I hear like the piano there, you know, and some of them sound like you've uh, played live drums. So you've been able to, you know, um, yeah, I totally incorporate all that shit in there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, even with the Wayne album though, like part of two of the records used to and took his time were done by a different producer, and I think at the last minute, uh, the label hit me up and they were like, "Hey, we can't clear these samples. You want to just replay them?" So. Dope. Being a musician is just like it opens up the door to that shit where it's not I'm not just getting work because of beats that I made and sent out or shit like that. Like I'm also getting calls to help out with a pre existing record. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's very dope. So one of the huge records on uh, the Carter Five album is a um a song you produced, Mona Lisa, with Wayne and Kendrick. Incredible record. Congratulations! You, huge, huge, very, 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 very well put together, man. Very great. Fuck, man, thanks. It only took four fucking years. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, to me, it was worth it. It's definitely one of the highlights, if not my favorite song on the album. Right, um, thank you, bro. And um, you and Wayne have actually, you know, been working for years. How did you meet Wayne? I met Wayne through somebody from the Allies, Develop. Nice. Who uh, developed produced for him i said earlier you know he was he was like only in the battle scene competing for maybe like three years and then he left early to start producing and making beats mm. and him and i just stayed in touch and shit and i used to go to at the time at the time i was in a rock band mm-hmm. and i would fly up to new york to take meetings with labels and shit like that i would crash at his place and we would work on beats together and then he had he had like a he did fireman for wayne which was huge yeah. so he moved to fucking he moved to miami where Wayne was living at the time and I was living at the time and developed literally had rented the studio next door to Wayne and I, we would end up seeing him every day and then I just passed him some beats one day and, and we just hit it off you know we just stayed in touch that's dope what does Lil Wayne do to bring the best out of you as a producer the dude can wrap his fucking ass off so that's good but he's just uh, I like working with Wayne because he's creative like there isn't 
you know, you can give him like a super ratchet beat and he'll do what's supposed to be done to it and get super ratchet on. Or you can give him a fucking really weird beat mm-hmm. that no other rapper in the world would ever try and fuck with and he'll do it. Dope. You know, so it's like the best part about working with him is that you don't, you know, like some people I go in to work on and I'm like, all right, cool. We got to make shit that sounds like so-and-so. Yeah. With Wayne, it's kind of like, all right, let's just make shit, see if he likes it or not. Because <laughs> you never know what he's going to like. Right. That's cool. So it's, there's there's a little bit more freedom and, and yeah. creativity. So as a producer, what does Infamous do to bring the best out of Little Wayne? Not a damn thing. <laughs> 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 that dude has been recording long before me and he you know what I mean like he he grew up in a recording studio and there's not much that you can tell him that he doesn't already know um right sometimes when you try and tell him something he's just like he's the best at curving your ideas just being (laughs) like oh yeah yeah cool so it's really like he's just one of those dudes just give him you know give him a palette to to color on and give him a canvas there to fucking paint on and, and just hope that it comes out good and when it does you know just say thank you <laughs> right right <laughs> uh one of my favorite songs that you've actually produced um along with uh drew uh, it's mr carter yeah did well did wayne and jay jay-z um record in the same studio at that no no and jay if i can remember i think jay handed in his verse fucking like a few days before album was coming out wow did you know? Um, did you know he'd be featured on the song? I heard rumors, and at the time he was on tour. And it's funny because I, uh, a friend of mine, was DJing for him, a dude named Neil Armstrong from New York. Mm. And I was hitting Neil, like, "Yo, do you know if you guys have any days off on the tour that he might be going to the studio?" And Neil was just like, "Dude, this is my first tour with him. I don't fucking know." <laughs> <laughs> so. I, it was really like I heard rumors of this is the record that we're gonna try and get Jay on, but I didn't know until finally uh, I think Fabian or Drew, one of the two, called me and was like, "Yo, verse came in." Wow. What was your reaction? It didn't really even like hit me until really until like a year later. Wow, a year I, later. I, it was, honestly, it was like my first record. You know, my first like professionally released major label record. Right. And I think it was like, oh, all right, cool. So this is what's supposed to happen. We're supposed <laughs> to give beats to the biggest rapper in the world right now, and he gets Jay Z on it, and then we go to the Grammys, and it's like, this is what life is. <laughs> and it's not, dude. You know? Yeah. That was just a highlight moment, and then you get back to the grind, and and the world continues revolving. How was it going to the Grammys? It was cool. Yeah. That's I spent cool. a lot of time. Uh, like once the thing is, once you go in, they won't let you. Like they'll let you out But they won't let you back in uh-huh. It doesn't matter who the fuck you are Like I saw celebrities getting like And they were like nah dude And I um Unfortunately smoke a lot of cigarettes mm-hmm. So I spent A lot of the show Looking for a place to smoke in there And I missed a lot of it uh, But it's cool I mean There's great performances And it's fun And fucking You know It's, yeah. it's definitely A special event My mom loved it More than I did <laughs> Oh that's cool You got to take her yeah, I took my mom and my girl, and, and they were excited. That's dope. On that song, um, Mr. Carter, was that a sample saying those words? Or mm. No? That is a dude named shit, uh, Sean Prescott, or Sharon Prescott. Wow. I forgot his name. 
exactly, but he was a friend of Drew's, and Drew recorded him. Uh, he slowed the MPC down. He recorded um, him singing that, and then he sped it back up, and and that's how that happened. And we tried to reproduce that shit again, and like we've never been able to get it to sound as close to a sample as that. I wish I could recreate it though, because fucking we could have had a little run like that, but right. we just haven't been able to match it. What inspired you guys to come up with the production on Mr. Carter? Drew. Okay. That was a lot of Drew's idea, and that's one of those. Like, Drew always says that he fucking, like, went to sleep, had a dream with that hook in his head, woke up, and he was like, I got this idea. And at okay. the time, Drew and I were working on a lot of ideas for Wayne. Um, and then the leaks happened. I lost a bunch of records, and Drew was like, yo, just come help me work on this record. So I can't, you know, I got to thank Drew really for that one because I came in really just helping out you know like he was looking for chords mm-hmm. he sang me like his idea of the hook and i was like all right try these chords and then he did a lot of the heavy lifting on that beat and then i came in at the end to kind of gloss over it i put the live bass on it and then mm-hmm. we brought in the crowd at the end to fucking do the hey mr carter yeah yeah so a lot of it though was drew's idea you know and i just got lucky that he brought me in on it. yeah yeah, uh, it was a very well put together song. Um, the piano melody on it was beautiful. Um, really, really like complimented uh, Jay, Jay Z, and Wayne, or they actually toyed with their vocals, their flow, yeah. I should say, yeah, yeah, yeah. to go with it for the Mona Lisa record. How did you develop the production for it, dude? Um, so originally the beat was a four bar lead. Mm. And it was a shitty beat that I hope no one ever hears any day. <laughs> it has like some, like a couple little things, like the main melody of the beat that you hear now is from the original beat. And some, like a sound or two might be from the original beat. Mm-hmm. But when I heard Kendrick's verse, I was just like, this is a whole different level of something. And then I heard the part where he sang, did the, and instantly it was just like, dude, something amazing has to happen around that. Like, it can't just be his voice doing that. Right. And it really was kind of... Bro, it was a lot of, like... We would get a phone call. Uh, Yo, the album's coming out. We need you guys to get the files ready and do whatever the fuck. So Angel would fly down to Miami, and we would tweak the record for a little while and fly back to New York. And I would stay fucking with the record. And then they would call and say, Nah, never mind. Uh... We can't agree because you know Wayne had that lawsuit going on, right. so everything was kind of like pending on that. And then like time would go by where we didn't touch the record, and then we would come back and listen to it, and be like, "Oh, this this part's fucked up. Like, let's take the drums out of here." And so it was really like we kind of got lucky with the fact that it was delayed so much because we would work on the record a lot, mm-hmm. and then we would just leave it alone and not listen to it, and then come back and listen to it again for the first time on fresh ears yeah. like how somebody would listen to it you know the first time they heard it and it would be like all right cool so that part's fucked up and this part's great and let's not you know let's do this and let's do that and it was just little by little um but the kendrick verse is like literally as soon as i heard what he did i was like all right cool this is i have a good idea for what's going on here yeah i think in that part where you were mentioning yeah you, you had like birds chirping in the background was it was it that? no no yeah, there's a lot of shit going on <laughs> So I can see how you think there's birds in there, but there might, there's not, but there's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. What's cool that you guys had the opportunity to like take your time and listen to it on fresh ears. 
um, you know, one of the things about creating music is to make something that's timeless to where oh. 10 years down the line, it still sounds exactly the same as if the, uh, when you heard it the first time or, yeah. um, or it, it still sounds current, you know, it's still going current with the times. And, um, that's, that's really cool that you guys actually had that time that amount of time to work on on that song um the fresh oh. ears like it plays a big part in the production i, I believe absolutely so. especially it, it it made it easier too that they already like we got to work around their vocals yeah you know that was a big thing so it's it was less of like let's make a hard-ass beat and it was more of like this is a fucking detailed story let's score it how a movie should be there let's you go. pay attention to all right, cool. He's talking soft here, so the music shouldn't be that complicated because we need you to pay attention to what the fuck he's saying. Oh shit, right. he's screaming here, so let's make sure that the music is loud and aggressive here, right. and matching the moods of what they were saying just to enhance what the fuck they're talking about. Because really, I mean, they're the lead instrument on it, right. so it's really just about accompanying them and, and getting what they're trying to evoke across even more. Mm. Is that a common thing uh, between um, you and Wayne, or is that something that you do with a lot of the production that you do, where you know um, you uh, take certain sounds out and try to build build that beat? Because I hear that a lot between the records that you and Wayne have done. Yeah, I mean Wayne, I can kind of get away with it more than with other people, just because we have that relationship. Yeah. A lot of times Wayne, like I don't even think Wayne knew that we were spending all this time on this record because like at the very end is when i went and i played it for i actually called wayne and i was like yo i want to play you this new mona lisa and i and he was like all right cool and then i get a phone call from mac main a few minutes later like yo what the fuck are you doing with mona lisa just change it <laughs> and i'm like oh shit you must call mac and i've been pissed about it like so i go and link up with mac and i play mac the new version and he was like oh shit this shit's crazy and then he plays it for wayne because I know that Wayne had been listening to the original version for four years, so there was a certain way we had to handle it without him getting like freaked out about changing shit. Right. You know what I mean? So it's it's okay. tough. Like I always prefer to, if possible, get the vocals once the vocals are recorded and let me finish the record right. to its its maximum possibility. Like some people get married to the moment, though. You know? True. Yeah. Um, I work with Gotti a lot. Gotti's very much like. Hey, what we record is kind of how it is. Even you know, we don't need all the extra shit. The mm -hmm. vibe is there. Let's just keep it moving. Right, right. So it depends on the artist. For sure, yeah. Uh, but as a producer, you know, you want, you, like you said, you definitely want to maximize on on that moment and make the make, make it sound as best as possible. Because totally. um, you hear different things sonically that an artist might not hear um, because you're right there with the instruments. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of piano did you use for the melody of Mona Lisa? Um, we, I don't remember what kind it was. It might have been like a Steinberg. It was some fucking like old, uh, I think it was like a, was, I don't know if it was a baby grand or a grand. I think it was a grand. And we cut it at Studio Center in Miami, which is a studio that's owned by a buddy of mine that he no longer has a studio anymore. Uh. That's how long it took to make the record. Was it, those pianos worked up there. Was it a, a virtual instrument or was it the actual piano? No, dude, there's no virtual instruments on that song at all, except wow. for like the synth line in the background. All the strings, all the flutes, all the pianos, um, the organ, 
what else? Wow. Guitars, all that shit is for real. And then, like, once all the music part was cut, I took, I took just that without drums to my buddy Spam, DJ La Spam Studio, uh-huh. who's got an incredible studio. It's called City of Progress Studios in Miami, and uh, like every piece of gear in there is from. It's just analog pre-1985 analog shit. And we cut all the music to quarter-inch tape and then bounced it back into the session because it just gave it, like, a different warmth and it kind of felt a little more vintage and sampley. Yeah. Um, and then we brought that back into the song. So there was a lot of, like, sonic... You know, we had four years to come around, you know, so there was yeah. a lot of... <laughs> Like experimenting, oh, let's cut it to tape, oh, let's, you know, change the fake pianos to real pianos. Yeah. yeah it was a lot of that shit. Yeah. I, with pianos, too, especially if it's a real one. I mean, there are some uh, virtual in- instruments that are able to um, capture it, but like, yeah. I mean, when the ivory hits the wood, like that. Yeah, bro, it's different. It's different. It is. It's totally different. Yeah. Um, and the same thing, even with just like running something through tape. Yeah. Fucking like. Yeah, dude, it, it makes it sound so much more expensive just just doing that. And there's plugins that I use all the time to do it. And really, really, what this record was was me just doing um like what usually would be done with plugins, but just doing it the real way just to see what it sounds like. Right. So there's a difference, dude. Totally a difference. Yeah, it it's just as fucking expensive to do it that way. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, the re- <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean, yeah, because you got to hire all these mu- musicians if you can't play it yourself and all that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the song itself, the song like plays like a, uh, like a, like a Broadway musical. If you think yeah. about it, that's oh. that's dope, man. That's dope. And another song that uh, you produced on C Five, um, Open Letter. Wayne yeah. Wayne says, "Dear life, what's my meaning? What's my reason?" What do you feel your meaning and your reason in life is? Uh, it changes every year, man. It's good. Uh, it used like musically, I think it's to uh, musically, it's I think it's to you know leave some kind of mark somewhere in you know you grow up and you admire all these fucking people from like Bach and Beethoven to Coltrane and fucking Little Wayne and, and it's just hundreds of years of incredible minds right. and it would it would be wonderful to be a footnote in any of that in any of those conversations and Dope. a lot of it is I'm inspired by people like Quincy Jones and Rick Rubin and Phil Spector and Mark Ronson and all these people that make amazing records that have touched me too so I mean shit if I can inspire someone that same way that would be great yeah but i got a kid now too so it's really to be a good dad is like fucking <laughs> yeah yeah they're, they're fighting for they're fighting for the they're they're tied for first let's just say that, that. <laughs> and it's cool too um you know your kid your life away from music actually inspires your music as well um to me i feel that makes the music itself more genuine more more passionate you know what i mean yeah yeah any advice you can give producers who are developing their sound my advice is that i don't think you ever stop developing your sound because i am still trying to figure out what my sound is and i think i think it's important to continue learning 
like there's nothing wrong with learning why these two chords played after each other make you feel a certain way or why they work and why these two chords don't work i think mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with there's nothing like i'm a nerd kind of when it comes to when i fall in love with something and i fell in love with music i want to know as much about it as i can mm-hmm. so i think just that quest of knowledge and the pursuit of getting better i think is an important thing that you should take and realize that it might not ever end you know because once you get to a finish line of like holy shit i think i didn't know how to do this last year now i know how to do it like then you're going to turn around and be like oh shit i gotta learn how to do that pursue that and it never ends so you have to find some kind of emotional balance to to not get hung up on trying to be better than everybody else too it's really about just being the best you that you can be as corny as that shit sounds like artistic people used to tell me that all the time they're like nah, dude just make the music that you love and you'll see how how people will react to it and then you go and you make a bunch of shit that that just sounds like this is what's on the radio and let me just make this kind of shit to make some money right and it, and it's when you actually are like dude i don't really give a fuck if anybody likes this i like this shit right is when people finally start saying yo this this is really good so be true to yourself and work hard and, and just realize that you're going to be learning for the rest of your life if you care Nope. That's all the advice I can give. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Get a good lawyer that you trust. Learn about fucking the business too. The business is important to learn mm-hmm. about. And and definitely learn about the difference between art and music business sales yes. and merchandising and that shit. Learn how to separate the two from each other, if need be. Hey yo, what's up? This is Jay Havana. Before we head out, check out this bonus content from a conversation with Infamous. How'd you meet EFN? From, from shit, I know EFN since I was like a kid, dude. Wow. Fucking, the Miami music scene in the 90s was incredible. Like, at least for the hip hop scene, it was a real tight knit culture down here. And he was one of the dudes that was doing things. And he was actually, the first batch of beats that I ever made I gave to E and he passed them to Ghostface for me. Wow. So he was like the first dude to ever shop my beats for me. I don't know if Ghost ever heard of me. I never got like a word back, but uh, I've known EFN forever, dude. Like he's an incredible human being. I'm glad to see that the life is, is doing well for him. We hope you enjoyed this Crazy Hood exclusive interview with Infamous. Make sure to support him by checking out all his work and his current production on Lil Wayne's The Carter 5 album. Available on all digital platforms and on crazyhood.com. While you're there, look for more exclusive content and check out our original podcasts like Family Ties, Dream Big Hip Hop, Fatherhoods, Bars and Buckets, and Drink Champs with many more to come. I'm Jay Havana and this is Crazy Hood Productions.